Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode four, Buzzing for Wasps of Folk on Falcons. I'm Philip Mundy, and joining me is Ian Joseph. And today we're going to give a brief overview of the sale game. Looking forward to the Wasps. Quick chat about whether it might be wise for us to play in Carlisle with the new tier system. A roundup of the internationals and Gallagher Premiership scores, league table, etc. So. Thank you for your communications over the last week on social media. Ian and I have had some good fun reading them. And just to remind you, here's how to find us. Yep, so for those, again, on your social media, uh, Facebook is simply at Folk on Falcons. Uh, Twitter is exactly the same, just keep things simple for everyone, which is, of course, at Folk on Falcons. Uh, we also have an, a mail inbox as well. Uh, we can obviously email us directly at folkonfalcons at mail.com. Thank you, Ian. So... Where else to start? What a Friday night! Yeah, the uh, the dream start continues, doesn't it? Um, after I mean, obviously, for those who listened to us last week, we definitely didn't think that was coming. Credit went to Stuart again, another really good performance. Um, but I mean, straight away in this game, similar to last week in a way, but more so uh, from the kickoff, we were really at it. I thought we were the better team. Uh, we had a lot of territory in possession. Um, and then, of course, we went 3-0 up early on. And then later on, again, like, later on in the half, of course, sort of capitalising on that territory of possession um, and a lot of very surprising sale mistakes. Uh, of course, we got our try, which I believe came from a screwed up line out by them, uh, which gave us the, you know, the territory and the platform to, to get the try. And they did their best to keep us out. Uh, several penalties almost getting into penalty try territory, I thought, but the yellow card did come. And I think actually it was probably a good thing that we didn't score the try until just after the yellow card, because if we'd scored it earlier, of course, might not have got the yellow card and or rather, you know, spend more time waiting the yellow card. But yeah, so it went 10 up at half time, very much well deserved. Um, sale, I thought, were especially in that first half, very, very insipid, um, very, very mistake-ridden, didn't really threaten much, um, looked fairly comfortable, actually, um, despite it only being a 10-0 lead. Um, they came out after a dead-friendly Steve Diamond team talk at half-time. Um, they were a bit better. They started to get a bit more control of it, started to get a bit more territory and, and possession. We started to give away penalties, I thought, much more, um, especially in dangerous positions, which we hadn't been doing the first half, and really against Bath. And that kind of gave a way back into the game and McGinty made no mistakes from two fairly quick penalties to make it 10-6. They, again, started to cramp up the pressure towards the end and you did start to think that it's a, almost only a matter of time for it really hold out. And, of course, they got into the corner. Um, after, I have to admit, Radran was off then, wasn't he? He had a, a knock of some sort, so actually down to 14, which may have had a, a bit of a factor. But they got in the corner, didn't they? And then really good conversion from McGinty to put them ahead with only you know, a couple of minutes left, wasn't it? I mean, whoever that sale player was at the end who did the dump tackle to give us the advantage um, for an absolutely magical moment. Well, actually, it was more, it was quite interesting. Just before that, it's about two minutes from the end. On halfway, there was a scrum. And the scrum went down. And good old Wayne Barnes, as he normally does, stu- instantly stuck his arm up against the Falcons. And then his touch judge said, actually, no, it was sale that collapsed it. And then we get a penalty. Hodgson finds another quite good touch. And then we set up in the, their 22 and then you're right, yeah, that, that dump tackle on Toby Fowler, which, if I'm perfectly honest, I've seen those just waved away, really. Uh, maybe definitely a few years ago, no one would have batted an island. Yeah, but it, absolutely, but it was, you know, especially in this day and age, and it was completely unnecessary, and I suppose nine times out of ten they were going to give it, and they just had no need to do that. Um, I mean, we weren't really going anywhere. 
I, I didn't, whilst it was a bit of excitement thing, oh, you know, could we actually do it? I never really backed us. But once we had the advantage, that completely changes it, doesn't it? You know, we got a shot on nothing and credit where it's due. You know, you have got your 35-year-old Toby Flood there on the right wing. There's a space. Mickey Young spots him and there it is. And uh, I don't know about you, but it was almost like a split second way you weren't sure because of the, those watching it on BT, the, the score didn't update or anything. You didn't see the referee sort of blow his whistle or put his arm up. But, you know, in the end, it was given, thankfully. Well, it's very interesting you say in the end it was given. We didn't give the video ref a chance that time because if you notice, Joel Hodgson took a very quick drop goal so that we took the conversion full time, game over. It wasn't. He didn't give time for the video ref to see any replays and say, oh, hang on a second, I just want to have a quick look at that or whatever. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I know there's one camera angle where there's a photograph that looks like he's not grounded properly, but all the others seem to suggest it was fine. And um, I'm not sure there's actually a TV shot which proves either way that Flood was on or offside, but we'll just have to assume it was all fine because we won. Also, if you watch the BT Sport highlights, they don't have the canned crown sound and you can hear people shouting youngy youngy and it's presumably flood or whoever's near him saying there's space in behind which you didn't hear on the night because of obviously the artificial crowd noise um and i think that had that not come off we'd have probably just gone for a penalty and equalized it i think dean richard said at the end that that was probably what would have happened so obviously very glad that it turned out the way it did yeah um i, I mean i saw those comments as well about richard saying that if they you know they blown it and they didn't make any use of the advantage would have just gone for the draw which would have been i guess would have been a little bit deflating um but a bit similar to, to bath last week you know should we have gone for the uh for the bonus point try i know that's around to the whole city he just took it quickly and you know there's there was never going to be anything wrong with it and it was always going to be given but better safe than sorry and the conversion didn't matter so you know why why not basically you just you know wave your leg at it see if you get it over if not who cares with one yeah i don't know about you but um before the try we obviously had a couple of line outs in the corner where we tried to maul it over both those line outs were as a result of penalties where we kicked to the corner i found that bizarre and also infuriating the first one was infuriating because um we didn't go anywhere they were quite solid in defending it and then all the backs piled in and lo and behold we lost the ball second one after basically not moving the first mall, we did it again, didn't move anywhere. I don't know why we didn't just keep tapping and going with McGuigan like we did in the first half, because that was proving extremely effective. As soon as we did that, we would get a penalty advantage in the first half, so it just seemed a very strange change of tactics. Don't quite know why it was done. Maybe um, BT Sport was saying, come on, give us something to watch, because I know the commentators didn't particularly like um, all the, the rocking in the first half, but me, I explained the forwards, and I quite enjoy just watching people run into each other from five yards out. Yeah, I mean, especially as Richard said last week, how he actually wants to really utilise the tap and go because Exeter have started to use it to great effect, and it's in his words, it's sort of become a bit more trendy to use. Um, and it, it's been pretty successful, I guess. I guess our lineup was actually really solid. I think our set piece all game was really solid and maybe they just thought at the time maybe the feeling was on the pitch that they had them there and it, it was worth a go and maybe I mean Sale for all as I say weren't separate going forward defensively they were really good so maybe, maybe they just thought at that moment that set piece is strong I mean scrum was as well all the set piece all the lineup was really strong you know maybe this is something maybe it's the safer option basically but you know, as it turns out you know who cares you know it all worked out well in the end yeah I think it was quite interesting because last week we were saying oh well sales are a completely different kettle of fish we're gonna to have to outscore them can we really see it happening I think both of us kind of decided we couldn't and how wrong we were because as it happened um, I, I wouldn't say we out-defended them. I think that we just kept the ball. And when we were in there 22, I think we didn't give it back to them. Um, there, was a, there was a lot of kicking tennis, which 
um, I think infuriated everyone. So the the thing with the kicking, actually, I thought, um, I know it's it's not exactly the best thing to watch in the world, and it will annoy everyone, and the commentators were, you know, going off at it, but I, I thought it was actually really good game management from the Falcons, because everyone for me, we thought last week that Sale had the ability and, and more likely probably would score lots of points. Um, and the way to kind of stop that, I guess, is to just, keep it in their half and the way to do that is that that kicking battle I mean I guess if you do that you have to make sure you, you do it well which is perhaps something else but I can see in terms of the, the game manager and the tactics behind that why they would just keep kicking to them the idea being well you know they can't score from their own half really can they so I, I whilst it was frustrating to watch I, I very much see, see the logic behind that yeah in all those exchanges um we didn't ever come off worse, I don't think. After Clerk a couple of times made some poor kicks, and I feel like if we just hoof it down the middle and then they try and find a good spot, but I accidentally kick it straight as touch and there's a line out back where they kicked it from, I'm I'm quite happy with that. It's a bit boring when the build-up happens, but at the end of it, we didn't actually lose anything by doing it. Well, I think in the first half, that was especially the case. The second half, however, I think it was their penalty to bring it up to six points for them, was it was you know the kicking battle between Conan and De Klerk, and Conan very much came off worse and he got caught out of 22 and got you know, they got their second penalty which really got them back into the game that was incredibly frustrating because I thought that that kicking duel was unnecessary actually and and we unnecessarily came off much much worse from that and we it's not like we even made any ground or even got anywhere near the game line with that so um, that was I guess my point before saying it's fine doing it and it works and you're managing it well but, you know, there's very fine lines and very fine margin of errors in terms of this sort of kicking duel. And especially if you get someone like De Klerk, who, yes, it wasn't his best game. He didn't make some mistakes, but generally he's pretty good, especially in that sort of kicking game. Um, and I felt that it was too risky and it just wasn't the right time to do that at that moment. And, the, you know, they came off worse at that point. So I thought the second half, that, that it sort of lost their way a bit in that regard. And maybe that was also because Sale themselves actually were a bit more effective in the second half and were getting the grips to it a bit more. If we just go into wider rugby for a brief second, um, I've seen a lot of murmurings in the press saying, basically, it's boring, it's not good for TV, we need to do something about it. Can you see them changing the law, maybe not this season, but in the future, whereby you can call a mark from anywhere on the pitch? I know there's been a few mooted law variations, or do you just think it's kind of one of these things that every now, every now and again, for maybe for six months or so, there seems to be a phase where teams all start kicking it, and then they just kind of get sick of it, and then play rugby again for the next six months or a couple of years? I think it's both a phase and I think it would be very, very difficult to change the rules. Um, it's interesting because um, when they interviewed Sam Underhill after the England game, obviously there was a hell of a lot of kicking in that game as well. Um, and he basically said, well, one of his comments was, well, if you don't like it, go and watch League, I suppose. Um, the same in terms of the set pieces as well. Uh, I, I guess that's true. I mean, I, I think to, to, to have a rule change would fundamentally change the game, make it worse. I mean, can you imagine calling the mark anywhere on the pitch? It completely changed the whole dynamic and how the sport is, is played, really. I think it's probably just a phase um these things happen i mean you know you'll get a team those tactics will change and more successful like in any sport really uh it'll be a gradual change you know we've had this box kipping kicking i think probably it's probably at its peak after about 10 years now i can't see it going any worse really can it because i mean you'd just be literally kicking the whole game um I think it's, as I say, I think it's a phase and I think to change the rules would, would be wrong. And I think everyone's just got to be a bit patient with it. And I think it will eventually go out the game of its own natural accord or certainly yeah. be minimised. 
I think what what I could maybe see happening is um, they very rarely, or they very very rarely change law mid-season. What they might do is they might start enforcing a law which says you've actively got to retreat if you're in an offside position, because you get it quite often now where a lot of players just kind of stand on the halfway line and then get played onside by somebody running past them who was onside. Whereas if they start saying you've got to actively retreat if you're offside, it means that suddenly the, the centre of the pitch will open up a lot more and there's the potential for counter-attacking. But, um, I suppose the other option you can do is you could just if the ball sort of just reaches the other player's 22 and they call the mark in the 22 you could you could be really harsh about it and just say right well it's a free kick from where you kicked it from I mean that would stop it dead in its tracks but um, I mean apart from a rule change like that as I say would completely change the dynamic of the game I, I'm, I'm not really sure but yeah I, I think we're just hoping for it to kind of be at least minimised but having said that we've, as we both said a few minutes ago we were very happy to see it in the first half so maybe it's just sort of four for courses really and i guess also at kingston park um particularly as the autumn goes on and the wind picks up it might not be such a bad thing if people keep hoofing it because we'll be used to it and they won't we know what the wind's like there and it when the ball gets above the top of the west stand it suddenly goes horizontally and completely changes direction i mean let's let's face it by the time we get into sort of midwinter, sort of, you know, before spring next year, and we're, you know, in the top half of the league and we do a lot of kicking, is anyone going to be complaining? Probably not, you know, so we'll just have to see what happens with it. Elsewhere in the game, um, I thought the commentators were pretty harsh when they said there's no obvious contenders for man of the match and they were making a bit of a joke out of it. I thought that there were two standout contenders. One was Mickey Young. I think it was one of his best games in certainly a couple of seasons that I've seen. He, he was the better scrum half against arguably the best scrum half in the world. And also, I think that McGuigan was exceptional. Um, Lineouts, I don't think he missed his man once. From set pieces, very good. Scrummaging, I think, our front rode it very well. And just in the open, once again, he was proving to be a right handful and always wriggling his way through little half gaps and getting offloads and making the hard yards count. Yeah, I would probably add, actually, um, well, there's Gary Graham, of course, who I thought had another absolutely exceptional game. And he's really starting to pick up his form for what it was a couple of years ago, well, about full finishing season. Um, and another one, actually, I thought Sean Robinson, I know he got his try, but I thought Sean Robinson was actually really good as well. I thought he was really going to break down, did some really good carries, didn't put a foot wrong, I thought, all game. Um, Sometimes I'm McGuigan in that regard. Um, I thought even at the set piece as well, he was really good. Um, it's hard to tell because, I mean, all our forwards were absolutely superb. I think you would struggle... It, can you think at the moment, I mean, even Exeter, I suppose, but can you think at the moment of a, after a couple of games, a, a better forward pack at the moment? Um, I just think they're all absolutely superb. I don't think any of them have really put any foot wrong at all in the last couple of games, and considering the opposition as well. Yeah, um, Bath and Sale, if you look at them the last couple of seasons, they've had phenomenal packs, and I think both matches we've been the better pack, so good news, thumbs up. Dean Richards, Nick Easter, Mickey Ward doing their job. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, it was also interesting, maybe it links to the fact why the Ford's are doing so well. Uh, um, for those who may have watched the the, you know, the opening bit with the BT coverage, that was a little feature on Newcastle, um, they had a, about a minute or so clip with Nick Easter. And it was interesting because one of our major worries, I'm sure worries for everyone was, in terms of the deconditioning, you know, over we had eight months without a game, is that going to affect our fitness, etc. Um, and it was funny, you know, Nick Easter was saying that actually it's the other way around, in that we would actually be better off both physically and mentally because of that break and I know it's only two games in but maybe he's right in that regard because we, we've looked really sharp 
physically and mentally in both games in in every aspect. And and that's even show when you got you know you know well into their thirties, Mickey Young kicking a really mentally smart kick over to physically fit again went to his thirties, Toby Flood to dash in at the corner. So maybe that's linked to the fact that the forwards are doing so well as well. But it's not just that, but the whole team. So I think that that's a real positive as well. Yeah, definitely. We we said last week um, about the comings and goings and between the clubs. Hammersley was the obvious one. I, I feel like we didn't really miss him this week. Um, seemed like the first couple of times he got the ball, he lost it, and then he gave away a penalty or two. And I think, if I'm honest, he didn't look that that good, and I can see why we let him go. Yeah, I mean, those. Uh, I think maybe because sort of mentally you were more focused on, it was kind of hoping he wouldn't do well or score or anything. But I mean, there were a couple of times where he looked a bit sort of jinxy. But yeah, I, I mean, didn't really make an impact at all. Uh, it was a point we made sort of last week, wasn't it? How he showed moments when he was at Newcastle, but then when he left, you were really surprised to sort of. I guess see him go to sell it. I think even more surprised to see him starting every week for what well, you know at the end they were our really good team and watching him. You know, it's obviously the most we've seen of him in one go since he's played for the Falcons. I can't see why he's getting picked every week. I mean, you would have thought Sale with the money they have and South African contacts or whatever that they could maybe get someone else. But you know, I guess we can just be thankful for that, can't we? It's also really strange because he's playing on the wing for them, and mm. I thought when he played fullback for us, it seemed like fullback was probably the position he'd be best suited to. You could perhaps argue maybe 12, but um, he never had blistering pace. He was always, he could always get, get around, but he wasn't wasn't blistering pace. He had a good boot on him. And he quite often, when he was playing fullback defending, players would go around the outside of him, or he wasn't the strongest one-on-one fullback that I've ever seen. And I can't really see why they're playing him on the wing. Um, I think they lose his better attributes there. And it might be because they're envisaging him kicking tennis, etc. But I'm sure there must be some wingers that have a bit more gusto about them you're right it's, it's an odd one because when you sort of think of attributes for wingers whether you know pace strength or whatever it is you, he wouldn't be your number one choice or you wouldn't say in any of those categories or you would say well he isn't all right yes he's outstanding that category maybe not the others it's just he's just yes he, you know he, he is quick and he does have a, a bit of a boot on him but in terms of as an out and out winger for qualities you would be looking for an out and out winger for a team that you you know Let's face it, I guess, optimistically looking to win the league. He's not your man, let's face it. Yeah. Um, in terms of Falcon selections this week, um, once again, very few subs. Um, props changed and Joel Hodgson came on. Was there anyone else that swapped in the whole match? Uh, they changed the front row. To, I think it was prompted actually by their try. I can remember uh, Dean Rich's comments also saying that maybe they scored their try because he hadn't made the changes quick enough and he made a bit maybe a little bit unfair uh, especially from the well, the others when um, Bruno Polo was out there um, on the wing and he, yeah, he's the one who kind of had to cover the gap for them to score the try and he just he obviously just couldn't make it and that sort of prompted Richards I think to sort of say in the comments afterwards oh well maybe I should have made a few changes earlier but it's as was wise after the event sort of stuff we also changed our front row reactively to them changing theirs they shifted theirs around and then we kept ours on and I think scrummaging wise we were okay but maybe just the general around the park fitness has gone a bit Fly half. I think that once again, Conan around the park was quite handy at fly half. I didn't see much wrong with him. Hodgson definitely changed the game, I think, when he came on. We were playing a lot more attacking, think on your feet rugby as opposed to structure, play a game plan rugby. But I think that once again, it's two matches in a row now. Kicking off the ground, Conan hasn't really been firing on all cylinders. Yeah, I'm going to, well, I'm going to disagree slightly in terms of Conan's performance. I thought. He was fine in terms of his link-up play at fly half, but generally I thought he was very much a weak link. It was actually quite poor. He was missing 
what were very kickable kicks. His place kicking was well, not sorry, not his place kicking in terms of his, his kicking for touch um, and territory was 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 poor. He never really made much ground. He never really any confidence he was going to do so. And I think it was is that one in the second half where he didn't make touch from that penalty where it was about a. 30 seconds after that, that's when they put Hodgson on. And it's a shame because a couple of years ago, he was one of the bright sparks actually for what was a poor season. Um, and we all remember his last-ditch 40-metre kick away to Wasp, which won us the game. Um, and it's a shame because we don't have a lot of strength and depth at fly half. And it, it's a, it is a position we're actually quite weak in compared to the, the rest of the squad. And yes, I know we're doing well at the moment, but we, we can't be... I suppose Connie be a premiership team and having a kicker who can't kick both, you know, for both in terms of points and, and for touch regularly. Do you think it's going to be an ongoing problem or do you think it's just he's going through a bad phase and he's not got the confidence and he's letting it mentally affect him every time he's on the on the way to kick it? He's thinking and panicking and trying to force it. I mean, I, I hope it's a phase. I, I, my point of view would be is you can't risk him. You, you'd have to play Hodgson now as you start and fly off, which maybe was the idea anyway, because I know Hodgson is sort of coming back to full fitness. You have to play Hodgson at fly half, starting the Premiership. We've got Cardiff coming up in the Challenge Cup. That is an opportunity for him to start him there, because if he can put even a, a good kicking performance, you know, even if he can slot a few decent penalties, that will do you know, the world of good for him. Then you can start to think, all right, yeah, you know, let's start playing regularly in the Premiership or whatever. But at the moment where, of course, points are absolutely crucial. Yes, it's it's going well at the moment, but you've got to have, it's an absolute basic. It's a basic for any rugby team. You've got to have a fly half who takes his opportunities and kicks well. A couple of seasons ago, I remember talking to you about it and I, I said that I thought Flood was carrying some sort of injury, which was preventing him kicking. I don't know whether he's done a groin or upper thigh or something injury, but two or three years ago, he very rarely kicked out of hand and he wasn't kicking off the tee and tackle was kicking quite a lot. And then this season, when Conan's down on confidence, conventionally he might just say, oh, it's not your day, mate. Go on, Toby, you have a kick. But that hasn't happened. And I think that, once again, Flood must be carrying an injury that's maybe not been widely discussed or disclosed, but it's preventing him from doing those kicking duties. Yeah, it's something which I think a lot of us even noticed last season as well. Um, you know, why Flood's on the pitch, why isn't he taking the kick? You know, he's England fly half. Surely he hasn't lost his ability to, to kick. But yeah, I, I think there is a suspicion he's got some sort of injury, but also in terms of he doesn't really go into contact that much, does he? He, he seems to be you know, maybe it's just the wrong impression we get, but he seems to be almost a little bit adverse to, to taking it in, going to contact. He's always sort of passing it on and sort of ticking it over. Um, so maybe that there is something there. Let's face it. I mean, it's what, what, 35 now? I mean, maybe, maybe there is something. And it's probably not his fault because he, he's had to, he's going, he has to play in a position there. Maybe when Orlando comes in, things sort of change a little bit. But obviously we need someone there. We, he's been picked every week and played there because he's needed there and that's not his fault obviously that's just in terms of the personnel at the, the club so he's probably doing what he can and he hasn't done a foot wrong I don't think in the past couple of weeks he's been really really good so if he is carrying an injury then you know he's obviously he's not showing it too much and that, that's good but it's only a case of really you know what 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 he can do at the moment I think it's quite interesting when you watch him play because to me, he seems like one of these players which who plays better when he's under pressure. I feel that when he's got a bit of time on his hands and he's got time to think, 
he sometimes makes the wrong decision whereas when he plays instinctively and he has defenders in his face he plays without thinking and makes the right decisions then I don't know whether it's just me that spotted it but I feel like when he's got less time he's actually a better player um, I mean generally I don't actually think I mean it was hard to have the championship as well because obviously we were very comfortable in a lot of games but generally I don't think he does much wrong but at the same time personally I don't think he does yes he does come up with the occasional thing like like the try obviously um, this weekend but I don't think he, he does anything exceptional I think sometimes at centre as, as we said he kind of keeps it going ticks it along but doesn't really kind of add any sort of X factor say for example you know, I know he's a different type of player but you can really see Burrell making an impact. You know, a game in, game out, you can see what he's doing and you can you can come away from the game thinking, oh yeah, Burrell was great, he did A, B and C. But with Flood, you sort of think, well, he didn't do anything wrong, but, you know, well, what did he really add to the game? Again, it's probably not his fault, but it's just something which, uh, you know, perhaps something that could be addressed one way or another, but I guess when we get Orlando in, it changes the personnel and perhaps things will change then. With Flood and Burrell in the centres, do you feel that we're a bit exposed out wide every now and again? I, th- I know that both of them are getting on years and maybe have lost a couple of yards of pace that they used to have. I feel that when teams, once again, this weekend, Sale got it wide, we're quite often scrambling. I know that um, Burrell defends in a bit of a rugby league way, probably just because the way he's been coached in the last couple of years. But I do feel that out wide we're exposed and we're kind of managing to not have that happen because we're doing a bit of a blitz defence and with the, the winger coming in and taking out a centre but I, I do worry that a team if they start putting a little chip in behind or perhaps um, doing a, a miss pass early or a full back coming in almost a second wave of attack then we could be very exposed Yeah well exactly that I mean proof is in the pudding isn't it in terms of the free tries we've conceded this season all being thrown out wide Um I mean, the, the way that we defend is, as you say, we, we tend to be very strong around the breakdown. We're quick up in defence. We get in people's faces. But that does leave you exposed. Um, and obviously, we know our wingers are absolutely lightning quick. But that's not going to save you every time. Um, and the way that Flood and Burrell do defend it is, you know, is quite close to the breakdown. You wouldn't see them, you know, chasing anyone down, particularly. We, you know, I say that Burrell did that brilliant try-saving tackle the other week in against Bath. But yeah, um, in terms of they defend, I think you're probably right, actually. They're both very similar type of players in that regard. And it did leave us a little bit exposed in terms of relying on our lightning-quick wingers to sort of to, to make that initial tackle. Because if they don't, then we are very much exposed. And I guess that is our weakness in terms of the tries we have conceded, hasn't it? That all three have come from out wide. Have you got anything else to add? Um, I suppose one of the, the absolute major negative in what was a really good night was the fact that why they're playing music at every single breakdown. There's no one there. Everyone hates it. I don't know a single person who's been to Kingston Park, a single Falcons fan who likes the music every time there's a breakdown. It's not American football. Can they just stop it? And they've got absolutely no excuse to do it when no yeah. one's there. It used to be with the try would um, uh, get scored and where you get some massive Friday night Ibiza tunes going and everyone's dancing around a bit. But when they do a knock-on or a scrum gets uh, reset or something and they start blaring the tunes out, you just think, bloody hell. This one's yeah, it's, it's almost out. a case where they, they, someone calls a mark or it's, you know, it, it sort of trickles into into touch for a line out on the halfway line or something. So, you, you know, it's like, you know, I'd be for 2017 or something blasting out of the tunnel and you just sit there at home and think like, what are you doing? You know, let, let's just watch us try and win a scrum or something. It's, a, it's ridiculous. And um, if they do listen to this, it's a very passionate plea from the bottom of my heart. Please stop. Agreed, agreed. Right, um, so if we if we move on to Wasps now next week, um, another good side, but 
who cares about that? Seems to be not too much of a problem these days. Um, what, what, how do you think the game's going to go? Um, well, it's tough because obviously we're not very good at predictions, especially, well, me maybe slightly less. But um, it's hard to tell which one is going to turn up. I thought was actually quite good against Bristol on the opening day. And of course, they won that, but they were pretty poor. I mean, I watched almost the whole game yesterday, and they were very, they were, they were, they were poor against Gloucester. And from, on that basis, we've got absolutely nothing to be afraid of. Um, we, we can go down there and really have a have a good go at it. Um, having said that, I, I do think it would be it is going to be third time unlucky. Uh, I personally think that it would be a close game, but they'll come out just on top. Maybe a bit similar to Sale, but the other way around, in which perhaps we are we do have the lead for towards the end for a period, and they you know maybe probably typically a Kibirigi intercept from the halfway line or something to snatch at the death, something like that. I think it will be it will be a close game like our games have been so far this season. But unfortunately I, I do think Wasps will probably just about shade it, maybe because of the fact they're at home and that they are going to respond after what was a pretty poor display at Gloucester. So I have to confess the only rugby I've seen this weekend is the Newcastle Falcons game and that's because today I spent six hours waiting for my car to get fixed by a garage after smoke started coming out of the bonnet at about 11 o'clock in the morning so um, unfortunately I missed the entirety of yesterday's rugby action um, and then uh, today been forced to put the Christmas tree up because obviously four Sundays before Christmas start of Advent what else is there to do this year get the Christmas tree up yeah that's what I've been doing this weekend unfortunately so um, I, I can't say that I've seen wasps but I know that in the past they've probably they've, they've been a, a pretty good pack they've normally got quite a mobile loose five and then out wide they tend to have a good bit of finishing and obviously our old friend Kibberigi's there these days um presumably looking to get one back over his former club. Um, yeah, I mean, you just know, I mean, we've, we've had it already with Matavese, haven't we? I know Hammersley didn't, thankfully, the, um, the other day. But it's, it's almost sort of written in the stars, I guess, in a way. Um, but also, I think another factor is that they have a very good kicker and, of course, an old terrace favourite, King Spark in Gopeth. Um, and that's something where the worry in terms of our kicking ability because I think they will outkick us in terms of you know their, their opportunities in that regard because Gopov is always ever Mr. Reliable. Um, so we, I think when we do get our chances, we really, really do have to take them. Um, and I, I think Wasp Pack isn't quite what it is at the international, when the international are going on, because they are missing keepers like Willis and, well, Will, sorry, and uh, Launchbury. But uh, their, their backs are very, very good. Um, and Bill, as shown against Bath, who I think are really much up there in terms of their back line, maybe I would probably say one of the top two, top three in the league. We, we dealt with it. I know they got the two tries, but we, as a whole, dealt with it. And there's no reason why we can't do the same with Wasps. And it's going to be close. But as I say, I just think they'll probably just shade it unfortunately onto the hello again feature we've just mentioned Kibariki and I know that him and Radwan were both at the club at the same time and I think that they'll both be keen to get one over on each other and I think similarly um, Joel Hodgson was understudy to Jimmy Gopeth for a while and it'll be very interesting to see how those two uh, fare against each other because they'll know each other's strengths and weaknesses and once again Kieran Brooks if he's playing for them and Hooker once again McGuigan those two once battling for positions so all of those three players playing against people that will know their weaknesses and strengths and could quite easily be the opposite man come Saturday afternoon. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting. It's one I think we, we can really, really look forward to and be really optimistic about because, well, personally, I think it's going to be quite close and um, what's shaded, but could easily be the other way around. I mean, a 
I mean, I'm only just saying was because almost against I don't want to jinx it, but also, I do think it, there's a, I think it's only a slight chance they'll be they'll be better and we'll win it, but it could easily be the other way around. Um, no reason why if we don't play Lightning against Bath and Sale that we, we can't go away and win there, especially after the way was played um, yesterday. So I've I've got a hunch that um, because BT Sport decided they didn't like the Falcons trundling it up and running into people from five yards out, that referees are going to get unofficially told to ping us for going off our feet unjustifiably at every single breakdown within five metres of the try line. Therefore, we'll have to resort to other tactics, but our first few forays in their 22 will end up in them getting penalties. And I therefore think we're probably going to lose about... 25-10 and that is because referees will basically stop us playing the way that we've played in the first two games. Well I'm going for the other way around this week I'm going to go for a slightly more optimistic prediction of uh, 18-14 towards. Something I'd like to discuss is we're moving out of lockdown now and into the tiered system and unfortunately Falcons were going to stay in tier three so not much changes with regard to fans etc but there are some clubs Cornish Pirates are the only club in upper two leagues of English rugby that are in tier one but obviously they can't play until January so there's about half the clubs that are in tier two and half the clubs are in tier three those in tier two are allowed up to 2,000 fans or 50% of their attendance, which is basically 2,000 fans. Is it worth Newcastle Falcons moving from Kingston Park on Brunton Lane to playing at Brunton Park in Carlisle for a few matches just to see what happens? Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting idea. I guess it would be good to let our Cumbrian supporters have an easier trip to see their team firsthand. Um, and, you know, it could boost the game in the region and also get a few extra supporters. It's definitely an interesting um, idea. If I'm going to play devil's advocate with it, um, I think it probably wouldn't get off the ground because, well, there's several fans. I think I'm not sure if Carlisle is in the, the football team um, would actually be pleased to have their pitch turf, you know, sort of churned up every week by, by the Falcons, even if it is only for a few weeks. Um, though, I mean, maybe some arrangement could come into place for that. Um, and also, I guess, travel arrangements, because I know at the moment for away games, they have to travel on things like separate coaches and things in terms of, you know, to put all their elite sort of sport COVID measures into place. And maybe it's just the expense, perhaps, of, of having to do that again, even if it's only going to Carlisle and, and the fact you'd have to have the different zones and, and all sorts. I mean, maybe it's, it's financially, it's maybe not worth the effort. They just prefer to kind of just have everything in Kingston Park. They know know what the process is in terms of the COVID restrictions. They know they, the travel arrangements are. They, they, you know, it's a, they're used to playing on that pitch. And it's their home ground. So maybe they just don't think it's worth the effort. But in terms of the idea of using the opportunity and making the most of it, it's, it's certainly an interesting idea. So two things that I've been thinking of. The first is in junior rugby, you get the teams like Keswick and people like that who play in the same setup as the Durham and Northumberland system. And you've got the Durham and Northumberland men's senior rugby. But once you get promoted out of Durham and Northumberland 1... You end up in Northeast, I think it's called. And at that point, you get the teams like Kendall and Cumbria ending up in the same sub pyramid. I know Cumbria have got their own pyramid beneath Northeast, but when you get to that level, they end up in the same pyramid. I know there is a reasonable amount of Newcastle Falcons following over that way. Obviously, players like Rob Miller came through, I think, at Keswick, and they do end up in the Falcons Academy system. Well, from, Mark Wilson can bring well, exactly, exactly, yeah. So you've got those sorts of players where we've got the links to that area. And yeah, we might get only a few hundred fans, but it's better than none. But then if you just keep one or two hundred of them coming for the rest of the year or next season or into the future, it can only be a good thing. Also, in the past, we've played up at um, Gala Shields when they've 
when there's been bad weather because I think they've got a heated pitch there and um, it's the old Border Reavers pitch and I just think that there could be the potential to play there if rules in Scotland change I don't know what theirs are going to be I just think there is the potential matches played and I guess the worry could be that you'd suddenly get a load of people from the northeastern tier 3 going across to tier 2 or Scotland or whatever and Nicholas Sturgeon will put machine guns up at Carter Bar I don't know there might be concerns that way around but I think it would definitely be worth investigating yeah I mean as I've said it's a on the face of it it's a really interesting in many ways attractive idea it's just I guess especially at the moment it's just the practicalities of it really isn't it yeah I guess um, Carlisle Browns might not be too happy when um, first his pitch gets churned up but normally it's flooded at this time of year anyway hmm. and you'd have to you'd have to get out of bed a bit earlier and paint some new lines on the pitch and work out how to erect some rugby posts but I've looked at the pitch dimensions online and the width and length dimensions of a rugby pitch so it's definitely a feasible idea it's just whether there's the the will Moving on to the internationals this weekend, a funny old set, I think, really, isn't it? Quite a turnaround in New Zealand. Yeah, um, obviously they decided to, to turn up this weekend. They obviously wanted to get a bit of revenge, didn't they, um, from the reverse result the other week. But it was interesting because it was only 10 and a half time, and then New Zealand just sort of cut loose, didn't they? Um, and I've only watched the highlights of the game. Again, I wasn't up early enough to watch that. Um, but um, it was it was basically what you would have expected it, I think, from the original game. I think from that game, you would have expected Argentina to... I know they had their long break as well. Some of the Falcons has got an international version, I guess. But you would have expected that to be the first game to be close initially and then you seemed to pull away and really that's just what happened in this game really wasn't it Fiji again couldn't play the game so once again a 28-0 walkover which unfortunately means that I, I think it's now confirmed that um, Georgia aren't going to be playing them in the final or the last place final very strange concept then the, the rest of the Autumn Nations Cup fixtures kind of went as we'd expect I think didn't they yeah I mean we'll start of England, that's, that's what the people want. Um, and yeah, a 28-13 win for England. Expected them to win. And I I mean, we were talking about, well, England will absolutely hammer Wales. It's going to be wonderful and, and brilliant. But um, at the same time, we all knew deep down the Wales would turn up for this one. And that's what they did. Credit to them, they, they defended well. They never really had any national territory. They got their, their try, sort of a bit of, you know, a bit of fortune to it. And that made the game a bit interesting, I suppose. So if England got the first try at that time, Time. I think it could have been a completely different game, uh, but well stuck at it. You know they had nothing really going forward after all game. It was just a case of how many points England would be and how clinical they would be. Um, they made hard work of it, but you know at the end of the day they did what they had to do, and it's a nice win away to Wales. So can't complain too much. Yeah, and I guess it was also nice in a way to see Johnny Williams getting on the score sheet after. Obviously, he's had a very interesting couple of years. He's had he's played for England against the Barbarians, which um, obviously doesn't count as a full cap. He's got health issues, which is very nice to see him recover from. And as you and I know, after ending up drinking with his father in Toulon, he's got a bit of Welsh blood in him because his dad is probably one of the most Welsh people I've ever spoken to. And um, you can see being raised in the same family as that man, how he's going to have a bit of loyalty to the red shirt. Yeah, surprised he was even allowed to play for England, really. But um, uh, it's a good pub quiz question, though, isn't it? Name the one player who scored for both England and Wales. That'd be one for the future, maybe. Is it the the only player to ever have done it? Yeah, he scored against the Barbarians, scored on on his one and only appearance for England so there you go there's a pub question for everyone to note down for some point in the future <laughs> yeah I was, I was aware that he scored in that match but I wasn't sure whether um, 
there were players maybe 50 or 60 years ago when basically if you went for a hiking weekend in Wales and they're short on numbers that you'd end up put, putting on the Welsh jersey or I don't, I don't know whether oh well, uh, well maybe that I didn't check that far but I'm certainly a professional era anyway yeah because um, that match was the one same match that Hammersley played for England in wasn't it so yes this weekend two Falcons internationals have been playing um, in notable fixtures but the rest of this weekend's action France um, did what we all, all thought they'd end up doing didn't they yeah that was interesting I mean it was very much a second sort of France team a lot of players making their, their debut and um, Italy were very very competitive and actually went ahead 5-3 at one point and then and I wouldn't say it did change the game I think France were probably more likely to get the win anyway but then uh, Italy went down to 14 men and France just kind of cut to shreds they completely let loose and took full advantage and they just I think they scored about two or three tries in that period and that did just completely change the game and it was a case of just Italy just sort of trying to keep the score down after that point but you know we were always going to play France in the final next week unless some sort of Italian miracle happened in which case we would have played Scotland which I'm not sure actually I think we'd rather play France actually but yeah so I, the result was what we expected but the, the game was certainly interesting for, for large periods anyway and it's also nice to see that Georgia have actually made a reasonable fist of it this weekend against Ireland the final score Georgia lost but it was 23-10 so they obviously got some points for the first time this uh, autumn yeah nice to see it. it's a bit more competitive than that had been previously yes it was a weekend Ireland score they obviously just Blooding a few, a few new names there. Um, but yeah, I mean, credit to Georgia, they stuck at it. Must be pretty demoralising to have been well beaten the past few weeks, and you know they, they put a good couple of tries away against Ireland. So good for them. Yeah, and then if we go to the um, the domestic scores, obviously Friday night, the Almighty Falcons thrashing Sale, never in doubt, fifteen thirteen, and then Saturday afternoon we had Northampton twenty nine, Harlequins forty nine. Bristol beat Worcester 30-13, Gloucester beat Wasps, as we earlier mentioned, 40-24, and Exeter made mincemeat out of Bath 40 points to three. At present, um, Sunday afternoon we're recording this, it was currently half-time in the London Irish-Leicester match, and that's 13-3. So the league table, there was a very interesting uh, part on, on Friday evening where on the BBC website, if you search English Championship, Newcastle Falcons, top of the Championship, because I haven't updated it, and we're also top of the Premiership. Um, but right now, um, we are second in the Premiership because um, Exeter have gone ahead on bonus points. Sam Simmons just seems to be scoring for fun. He's scored five of their tries so far this season. <laughs> um, they've got bonus point wins both times. But Newcastle are the only other team, at, as it currently stands, to have won both of their fixtures. Leicester could obviously change that if they um, win against London Irish. And... They would then go second because they got a bonus point in their first game, so they'd end up with at least nine points. Next weekend, our kickoff time, what was it? Was it three o'clock? And that is, once again, it's not a clash with Newcastle United this week, it's a clash with England because England's is a two o'clock kickoff. Um, I don't really care about the Autumn Nationals, so I'll probably be watching the Falcons. I'll definitely switch over at the start of the second half of the England game. Uh, what I'll probably do, I'll be dead technical, is I'll watch the England first half, I'll then switch over to Falcons on the TV, because I presume England's on prime, I'll get some device and kind of have that next to me so I can keep track of England as well. What a time to be alive. The beauty of the digital age. <laughs> Aside from that, I think we've covered everything we wanted to this week, haven't we? And... Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's, I think just a, sort of a final thing, we can be slightly optimistic and going forward, if we sort of set ourselves little targets, um, we've got two more league games if, if we can still find ourselves within in the top four by the time we get to the new year i think we can you know be obviously absolutely ecstatic with that um i don't think that's an unrealistic target but i think it's 
you know, it's it's something certainly I think as as fans, maybe any of the players have their own targets, but as fans, I think, you know, if we can just kind of be really nice to end the year for the year it has been, to see Falcons after everything to be in the top four going into the new year. Uh, one thing I've noticed is yeah, I went through the league tables from the last several seasons and it seems to be that if you get seven wins, then you don't get relegated. There's a few times where teams with six wins have been relegated, but often there's a team that only ends up uh, three or four. So I think that if we assume that it's going to be six or seven wins is kind of the threshold we need to get to, then we only need to win four or five games for the rest of the season to stay up. And if I'm honest, I think that's definitely doable, but it's also worth noting, as it stands, the teams we thought would end up at the bottom being your Worcesters and your, your Leicesters have both got wins under their belts, but that's also because of the way that the um, fixture has fallen, meaning Leicester are playing uh, London Irish today, and London Irish played Worcester last weekend, so I think we'll have to wait and see on that one. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean our next two fixtures, of course, are Worcester and Leicester, and there's definitely five points in there, at minimum, I would have thought. Um so, but if we let's say we did win those two games, that's obviously four wins out of four already going to New Year, and we would have to be pretty spectacular, I think, to sort of blow it from there in terms of doing our chance any harm of staying up. But I guess the whole dynamic changes if at some point they announce as ring fencing, because then you don't really have to look down anymore, do you? You just sort of look in terms of the fixtures of who's playing each week. You just sort of look at just trying to kind of maintain above the pack, don't you? Really. Yeah, I know you and I have different views on the old ring fencing thing. Um, you being pro it, me being against it, but I think that's an argument for another day. Mm, very much so. Right, um, thanks for listening, folks. Thank you for listening to Folk on Falcons. Goodbye. Bye, everyone.